The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. I hope you're having a wonderful day. Um, This show is going to be... A blockbuster is so it's a tough show uh i had to do a lot of research on this but it is uh gonna be fun it's called evolution and psychology it's about evolutionary psychology the the matching of evolution with and blending it into the psychological world into where we get a different point of view of issues and problems and uh and instincts that people have and so this is a this is a a very perplexing topic it's a controversial topic but I got to tell you that, that there's a lot of uh, universities out there that actually specialize in this field. Oxford, for one, in England is a uh, Oxford University is a tremendous uh, a resource of information around this particular topic. They have a very strong department. Uh, Cal. Uh, y- Cal State Fullerton is another one, and uh, there's several, uh, Harvard and a few others that are extremely strong in this field and offer us a lot of insight. Uh, University of Texas in Austin is also another uh, school that does this. So evolution and psychology brings us a lot of information. I can tell you it's fascinating because about four to five years ago, um, I took a trip down to South America, uh, actually from Mexico, from uh, Argentina, all the way around uh, the uh, Strait of Magellan and uh, Antarctica and uh, the Falkland Islands and then on the way up to Chile. And what was fascinating is that is the same journey that uh, Charles Darwin uh, took. And by going on that journey, it was fascinating to see how the creatures that he looked at and after reading a lot of his work, uh, trying to understand his perspective. And it was fascinating to see that and to see the various creatures and how they've evolved and how they adapted to their environment. And uh, I, I firmly believe that evolution has a very strong component in our nature and so I'm putting the show forward just to offer a different perspective on uh, psychology so that's what this is all about you know Charles Darwin in the in the final pages of their origin of species after he had presented the theory of evolution by natural selection he made a bold prediction he said in the distant future I see open fields for far more important researches. Psychology will be based on a new foundation, that of the necessary acquirement of each mental power and capacity by graduation. Grad- gradation. Sorry about that. 30 years later, 
Uh, William James tried to do just that in his uh, book, The Principles of Psychology, one of the founding works of experimental um, psychology. Um, and that was, I believe, uh, uh, in principles, he talked about instincts, and, and the term was used to refer roughly to specialized ner- uh, neural circuits that are common to every member of a species and are the product of that species' evolutionary history. Taken together, such circuits constitute in our own species what one can think of as human nature. So, you know, evolutionary psychology is the approach of explaining human behavior based on the combination of evolutionary biology, anthropology, cognitive science, and the neurosciences. Evolutionary psychology is not a specific subfield of psychology, uh, such, such as the study of vision, reasoning, or social behavior. It is a way of thinking about psychology that can be applied to any topic within it. And so, um, how can understanding a human evolutionary origins help us understand how people think and behave? Well, you know, if you look at the environment of evolutionary adaptedness, ancestral conditions that characterized what the world was like when our ancestors were evolving into humans uh, that was like on the african savanna uh pre uh agriculture 99 this is prior to people having little farm communities and building cities uh the pre agriculture times 99% of human evolutionary history humans were nomads following this food as opposed to growing it so civilization and cities depend on agriculture. So there were no cities until about 10,000 years ago after the advent of agriculture. So bands of humans tended to be capped at about 150, including uh, kin members, and that would be family members. And also droughts were very, very common. And uh, with those droughts came famine. And so average human bands would walk up to 20 miles a day regularly. And this is just less than 10,000 years ago. So implications uh, for modern human behavior, food, uh, since famine was common, people evolved like, uh, like foods with high sugar and high fat. And these uh, food preferences helped people put on needed fat to make it through famine conditions. But post-agriculture... These food preferences are actually unhealthy. So, uh, you know, so when we have McDonald's, you know, in McDonald's, uh, we thrive. You know, they've sold billions and billions of, of hamburgers and unhealthy food, and that is because it's high in sugar and high in fat. And yes, our body craves that still. It didn't just magically go away. Also, You know, if you look at exercise, our human ancestors were not overweight, partly due to famine, but also partly due to exercise. They didn't need to pay $500 a month to join a gym. Life was a gym, and the Savannah was their treadmill. And so, uh, also, education, if you look at that, under ancestral conditions, there were no schools. People learned by observing and interacting with others in their band, especially uh, kids would learn from kids that were just a little older than them. They, they didn't learn from adults. And, and by being outside doing stuff that needed to be done and interacting with mixed-age environment, uh, our ancestors had no report cards. They had nothing but each other, and that's how they learned, and they were called experiential learners. Well, guess what? In this day and age, we 
are challenged with children and people who are experiential learners, meaning they have to experience something in order to actually understand it. And that means we make lots and lots and lots of mistakes. Also, you know, as far as a mismatch in evolution, uh, you know, when the modern conditions of an animal don't match the animal's uh, evolutionary adaptedness, uh, you know, humans live in contexts that are in some ways very different from our adaptedness. You know, this is partly why we have issues such as obesity in our societies, because we're very stationary as opposed to when we were extremely active people. And also, uh, you know, if we blended our culture of where we came from evolutionary-wise and actually developed a much more uh, active culture, people might actually become more in tune with themselves and we may discover more of ourselves. Unfortunately, most people wait till vacation to actually explore and do things and, and lead a, a little bit of a nomadic life. Um, more often, the travelers do that. People that are vacationers tend to go. I say, go to a place and say, "Oh, you know, I saw that, or I saw the Eiffel Tower, I saw this." They, uh, travelers actually put themselves into the culture and actually learn, and that that's that's an incredibly primitive behavior that we come from as people. You know, um, many behavioral scientists define evolutionary psychology as the evolutionary study of mind and behavior. Um, so. You know, evolutionary psychology is a field of inquiry. It's, it's kind of like uh, mechanics, which is defined by any specific theories about human psychology. But the questions it investigates, and these questions cover a very broad spectrum, like why do males in some hunter-gatherer populations hunt, which offers high variable calor uh, caloric uh, returns that means they burn calories, and also uh, when they can provide reasonable uh, food for their families, this was a wonderful thing. And I got to tell you, you know, from an evolutionary psychology perspective, look at ADHD kids, um, hyperactive children, whether they're internally hyperactive or externally hyperactive, meaning they have trouble concentrating, or they're just out and about, just crazy, or they're both. Um, the deal is. Uh, you will find that ADHD kids are actually very much like hunters. They are micro-focused on linear thinking, meaning going after a single target. They love video games. They just get lost in them for hours because they're hunting, and video games are linear. And so when they're in a hunt, they do not want to be bothered. They throw temper tantrums. They do all kinds of things. They're hyper-focused, show extreme ingenuity and very good thinking, very strong thinking when they're on the hunt. But when they're not on the hunt and they're with the gatherers and they're doing gathering stuff, they're bored to tears. And so they're very poor members of a society from a social perspective because we don't need hunters anymore. We can go to the grocery store, but that's only 100 years ago when that stopped. So, you know, if you look at ADHD, you will understand that about 30% of our population of the planet Earth have to be hunters. And they are pre-programmed that way. An evolutionary perspective, they have a very uh, highly stimulated basal ganglia, which is right in between your eyes. And that basal ganglia is a predisposition genetic uh, necessity for the human race's survival. And so now that we're in school, now that we have grocery stores, ADHD is not that important. ADHD is a diagnosis rather than a pre uh, disposition genetic 
problem, or not problem, it actually was a solution to the human existence. So, you know, you can look at diagnoses from that perspective and get a much better understanding of how they operate and what to expect and how to predict and how to manage those disorders. And so that's the insight that evolutionary psychology gives us. You know, the human mind is massively modular. This is according to the the evolutionary psychology perspective, containing hundreds of thousands of special purpose, like many computers, called modules. And this is how how they look at this, each of which evolved during the uh, Pleistocene to solve, and that's a time period of the human race, which is to uh, solve the problem of survival or reproduction faced by our hunter-gatherer ancestors. And, and these ancestors were endowed with substantial innate knowledge, yet a very narrow range of expertise. Each module is designed exclusively to saw in solving a single problem, for example, uh, detecting cheaters and social exchanges, uh, it's d- defining doctrine of, of, of evolutionary psychologies that our minds remained uh, 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 adapted to the Pleistocene hunter-gatherer lifestyle that psychologically we are living fossils of our Stone Age ancestors. And accordingly, the evolved nature of human mind is allegedly discoverable by reverse engineering. And this is the perspective that the evolutionary psychologists have. You know, impressive discoveries, including sex difference and mate preferences. Uh, you know, males uh, prefer nudity and females prefer nobility. And that's what they look for. Evolved strategies of infidelity is also something that, that uh, evolutionary psychology looks at. A sex difference in jealousy. The reason why stepchildren suffer from a high risk of maltreatment. All of these can be viewed through the evolutionary psychology perspective, and, 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 and it operates off of many principles, and they're all drawn from basically from biology. And one, uh, the primary principles is that the brain is a physical system. It functions as a computer. Its circuits are designed to generate behavior that is appropriate to our environmental circumstances. So the brain is a physical system whose operation is governed solely by the laws of chemistry and physics. And and what does this mean? It means that all of our thoughts, hopes, and dreams, feelings are produced by chemical reactions going on in our head, which <laughs> that's, that's an extremely sobering thought. The brain's function is to process information. In other words, it is a computer that is made of organic carbon-based compounds rather than silicon chips. The brain is compromised of cells, primarily neurons, that are supporting structures. And these neurons are cells that are specialized for the transmission of information. And it's called an electrochemical reactions, which is what neurons fire. So, uh, you know, they're connected in, in a highly organized way. One can think of, of these uh, as uh, circuits, just like a computer has circuits. These circuits determine how the brain processes information, just as the circuits in your computer determine how to process information. So, you know, that's, that's one of the principles of evolutionary psychology. The brain is a computer, and it is following a program that has been pre-programmed in us for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Also, 
another principle that they operate off of in evolutionary psychology is that our neural circuits are designed by natural selection to solve problems that our ancestors faced during our species' evolutionary history. Um, basically, what this means is that our circuits um, are pared down and evolve based on our environment. So, uh, natural selection means that the strong survive. So, when there are things in which we are predispositioned and we look at, and, and uh, for example, if we look at people that are alcoholics, it's a very simple process from an evolutionary perspective. People that grew up in potato-based societies like Russia, like Ireland, they are going to migrate to very strong potato-based alcohol. Alcohol, for instance, in those societies was purified water. Uh, they, they learned very early, a human uh, learned that water was a very, very bad thing for many people. Could, you, people could get sick based on the water intake. And so what they did was they created alcohol, and by creating alcohol and cooking the water, they didn't realize this, but they were killing the bacteria, and they, were having, they would have a, a, a fairly pleasurable experience, and they would also be able to uh, have not get sick by the water. So they created alcohol. So in societies like Ireland and Russia, they have an addiction to vodka. If you go down to Italy, you've got the, the wines. Wine is a big thing. If, if you go into the uh, wheat-based cultures of the world, such as the United States and, and other uh, South America, you're going to find whiskey and anything derivative of whiskey because that's got the wheat in it. So you have to look at uh, the evolution. You know, barley and in is another thing you're going to find that in beer. So these kind of substances, wherever they were, where, wherever these things were grown agriculturally, man became extremely adaptive to that. So when you look at people with alcohol problems, what I'm trying to say is, over thousands of years, as they have evolved, they have a predisposition to a certain type of alcohol, and that likely is going to be the one that they end up being addicted to because they have it in their body, in their blood, because once again, it was their purified water for thousands of years until public water became available, uh, purified public water, and guess what the societies did? Prohibition back in the 20s. America said, hey, you've got, clean, you've got clear water, clean water in your home, through your water spout, through your kitchen, through your bath. You have no reason to have to drink alcohol anymore. But Guess what? The uh, that didn't work. Number one, but number two is is that we can't just do away with evolution in 80, 80 to one hundred years. We actually still carry the predisposition to crave certain kinds of alcohol because that is what was in our ancestry. So you know you, you can look at all kinds of issues in human nature through the view of evolutionary psychology. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about a few of the other principles. Then we're going to describe some of the big problems that we have in our human society and, and uh, where they come from from an evolutionary perspective. This is a tough show once again because there's a lot of words. There's a lot of uh, very high uh, thinking, a lot of difficult thinking. I'm going to try to make it very simple for you. So come back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. 
Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Do you have complete control over your thoughts and your life? It seems like we do, but there are always outside forces that are wreaking havoc with that control. How do we get our thoughts back on track, so to speak? Listen for help. My thoughts are holding me hostage with Dr. Jeffrey Fannin. When you command the power of thought, you can achieve or have whatever you want. Make the laws of the universe work for you. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back. Okay, we're talking about evolutionary psychology. Wow. It's a big, big topic. Here's, here's another principle when we look at uh, evolutionary psychology, and that is that consciousness is just the tip of the iceberg. Now, consciousness is, is what we call our, our, our self, the, who we are uh, actively engaging in society, the thoughts that are at the very front of our mind. That is our consciousness. But, but what evolutionary psychology says is that most of what gives uh, goes on in your mind is hidden from you. As, as a result... Uh, your conscious experience can mislead you into thinking that our circuitry is simpler than it really is. Most problems that you experience is easy, are easy, as easy to solve, are very difficult to solve, and they require very complicated neural circuitry. So, you know, they go on to, you know, believe that you are not and cannot become consciously aware of most of your brain's ongoing activities. And once again, this is an evolutionary psychology perspective. You know, they want us to think of the brain as the entire, like the federal government. And uh, your consciousness is just the president of the United States. And and that would be you. That's what you think of as yourself. And the self is, is that you, the president. If you were the president, how would you know what's going on in the world? You know, that you have members of the cabinet, like the Secretary of Defense, would come to tell you things, for, you know, like, um, you know, somebody's invading Israel or whatever, and, uh, and, and problems that are going all over the world. And uh, hundreds of investigative reporters are gathering and evaluating in, uh, enormous amounts of information from all over the world. 
But as you saw what each of them read, how each of them talk, what they go through and all that stuff, that is also in our mind. We have these dialogues in our mind from an evolutionary perspective. We just don't bring them forward. So you as the president have to conclude based on your full cabinet that's in your brain, you have to conclude uh, how you're going to present yourself. So most of what we are is back in the cabinet of our brain and we as the president present what we feel is important to the people outside and that is our consciousness. So the president is a consciousness and I'm trying to give you a visual here and the cabinet is what's our brain computing what we should or should not do. And so it's it's very important for us to see that perspective because that offers us enormous amounts of insight as to how the human brain uh, calculates and if you look at developmental theory uh, you have to look at the sense of safety uh, you have to look at the sense of security you have to look at the sense of food um, you have to look at the sense of sex all these things come together uh, in, in that cabinet and uh, each cabinet member is responsible for a different part of your life, whether it's your relationship to your children, your parenting skills, whether it's your wife. All of your brain has little mini computers, and this is what the, the evolutionary psychologists believe in. Um, they also believe that uh, our uh, intuitions can deceive us, that our conscious experience of an activity is easy and natural, can lead us grossly uh, to underestimate the complexity of what's going on uh, because we do what we think is natural because we've already computed the problem before. Let's just say uh, we deal with our children in a certain way that we are very stern with them and when they come to us with a complex problem we've already developed a pattern of how we deal with them. We deal with them sternly, we tell them no, and we don't listen. And so what the evolutionary psychology is saying is that we follow that pattern because we got that in our childhood and then our parents got that in their childhood and we basically continue that trend for thousands of years through our growing up is basically following our uh, evolutionary adaptedness and, and following these patterns. And so what we don't address is the individual concerns, the individuals in front of us, and actually become fully present uh, to the people we're talking to and the people that we're dealing with. We're, de we're doing it by patterns that we're familiar with. And so that's a problem that people have is, in, and from an evolutionary perspective, they want us to look at the patterns that we develop and how we uh, automatically uh, react because this problem is very similar to another. And so it, it, it basically dictates how we develop uh, patterns in our life that are called coping skills rather than actually existing in the moment and redefining ourselves. Also, uh, another principle is that different neuro circuits are specialized for solving different adaptive problems. And, and like I said, you know, it's like the body. The body's divided into organs. You have the heart and the liver. You know, the heart's pumping the blood throughout the body. The liver is detoxifying poisons. These are two different problems. And that's what those organs do. Well, they're saying that the brain has the same uh, issue. The brain actually has a functionalities that are very specialized, and they have very special neuro circuits designed, uh, especially you know for things like vision, um, uh, vomiting, vanity, vengeance, I anything else. Still, other neuro circuits are specialized for sexual attraction. 
and they govern what you find sexually arousing, what you regard as beautiful, what you'd like to date, and so on. And so these circuits are all predispositioned in us. And that is what, uh, that we can't get too far away from our parents. We can't get too far away from our relatives. We tend to have a very similar uh, uh, views and very similar desires that that have come through us through our family generation after generation and, and so that's you know the evolutionary percep- uh, uh, perspective suggests otherwise you know that biological machines are uh, calibrated to the environments in which they evolve and so basically our families and it's really hard to to conceive of this from the United States perspective because you know we're we're just over 200 years old as a as a, a country and basically you've got Europe that's been around for thousands and thousands of years you got Africa the oldest continent in 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 the world with the human race on it and and basically these places have developed a lot of circuitry adapting to their specific cultures and their specific environment. We are a country in the United States where people have come here from other places and now we're adapting our own uh, uh, culture and our own uh, way of being. And those and some of the traditions that come from other cultures are actually here. So, you know, our problem-solving skills, luckily in the United States, and I see that as a, as a great thing, is that we tend to have to come at problems in a much different way and that we're evolving very quickly as a culture because we're bringing together a new ideas and a new way of looking at our, our, our world and we're doing it within a very short amount of time, whereas in Europe it was done since the beginning of the human race. Okay, there's another principle that our modern uh, skulls house a very Stone Age mind. That natural selection, that the process designed of our brain takes a long time to design a circuitry of any complex, uh, complexity. The time it takes to build circuits that are suited to a given environment is, is slow and it's hard to even imagine. And it's done generationally, not just uh, in a lifetime. And it's done over thousands of years. And therefore, the human mind has evolved in in what was a a very modern environment now from a very primitive environment. And our ancestors um, were hunter-gatherers. And so we have to look at how we've built our societies and then why we have uh, tendencies that are antisocial. And those antisocial tendencies tend to come from, in the evolutionary psychology perspective, from our primitive uh, desires. And so they don't naturally fit into our life in a society. And uh, so, you know, you have to look at the five principles or the principles of psychology as tools for thinking about psychology. And believe me, I'm just giving you a very high perspective on this. I'm not getting deep into it, but I'm going to get deep into very specific topics in just a few minutes. But uh, what they're basically saying is that... um, their thoughts on psychology affect sex, sexuality, how and why people cooperate, whether people are rational, how babies see the world, uh, conformity, aggression, hearing, vision, sleeping, eating, uh, hypnosis, schizophrenia, on and on. They frame The framework that they provide links areas of study and, and saves uh, one from drowning in uh, particularity. Whenever you try to understand some aspect of human behavior, they encourage you to ask the following questions. And that is, 
where in the brain are the relevant circuits and how physically do they work? And that is some of the primary research that is happening today in evolutionary psychology. Also, what kind of information is being processed by these circuits? What information processing programs do these circuits embody and what were these circuits designed to accomplish in a hunter-gatherer society? You know, now uh, that we're basically looking at this deep uh, theoretical framework that I've tried to lay out, and I've probably done a very crappy job, we're going to look at some topics like why uh, females cheat. And if you, uh, you know, let's begin with the question of why uh, a woman would want to cheat. Well, in a number of studies conducted over decades, they have consistently found that sexual dissatisfaction in marriage is a leading factor causing women to engage in short-term uh, uh, extramarital sexual affairs. And these results have recently been uh, corroborated by uh, many, envi- or many uh, evolutionary psychologists. Although women who are emotionally dissatisfied in marriage uh, seek marital, uh, extramarital emotional involvements, they're not more likely than satisfied women to have extramarital sexual affairs. And that's what, so whether they're happy or unhappy doesn't matter. And that is what the evolutionary psychologists are saying, is that only sexually dissatisfied women were more likely to have these extramarital affairs, but that does not prevent the satisfied woman. Moreover, women who are uh, sexually dissatisfied in marriage have been found to be uh, over twice as likely uh, to uh, uh, look for another partner. And and also that women engage in uh, short-term extramarital affairs can be explained simply resulting from a frustrated sex drive. Uh, for lack of a better term, and uh, when the sex drive is is going unsatisfied in the marriage, women sometimes seek satisfaction outside the marriage, and this may have reproductive benefits, but it is, uh, without appeal, uh, extremely uh, important for the woman to harvest good genes from an extra pair partner, meaning somebody outside of the relationship. So their goal is a lot different than the male's goal who has gazillions of sperm all the way through the end of their life. Women are born with a certain amount of eggs and that's all they have to deliver into this life. So their desire is to to seek a, a genetic pair that may be better than the one that they're married to. And so many women... Over the years and over thousands of years have had extramarital affairs so they could have an offspring that may have a better chance of survival. And uh, if you think about the human race, you know, we, our children, uh, many of them died in childbirth. Many, many died. And so in Europe, uh, especially, it is highly common and, and in many other societies all over the world, in, in South America, in Africa, uh, all over the world. Extramarital affairs is, uh, has never been, uh, not necessarily been considered a bad thing simply from the genetic perspective that maybe a male will offer a better, better uh, offspring that will have a better chance of survival. So many people have taken a very liberal perspective on uh, women actually having an affairs. You know, while uh, women can basically improve the quality of their offspring by having an affairs and they can harvest good genes from an uh, extramarital sex partner. That doesn't mean they don't want to be monogamous. It just may be that they're looking for something better. And uh, because of uh, the uh, the reproductive payoffs 
of this uh, mixed mating strategy, women evolved a psychology of infidelity or a psychological mechanism in women specifically designed to promote short-term mating. And uh, like I said, this is more about the mechanism of survival of the human race rather than a moral argument. And so that is what uh, they put forward from an evolutionary psychology perspective, is that women have this desire from an evolutionary perspective. And they also say their findings provide the core evidence that uh, it, it is an adaption. And it, it's an interesting because in the studies that they've done, on average, uh, um, the more symmetrical a male, the higher his attractiveness rating by female panelists. And this is also significant because many biologists believe symmetry in which the two sides of the body are mirror images of the other is a sign of developmental stability and ability to resist harmful effects of pathogens and uh, mitre mutations. The, the studies have also found that highly symmetrical men on average reported having been chosen by women as an extra pair sexual partner more often uh, are picked less than the uh, less symmetrical men. So the men that don't look as good, uh, they may be good as a marriage, but they're not sexually attractive, are oftentimes not the men that, that women pick to have an extramarital affair with. And, uh, you know, they believe that this define, this is a very definitive uh, picture and that women have a long-term mating psychology and men have a short-term mating psychology, which leads them uh, to seek a long-term mate who will provide resources, but once they've landed that mate, women can become motivated by a psychological mechanism that is specifically designed to promote short-term mating with a symmetrical male. I know that's a lot of science, but that is what they put forward. Okay, now, male jealousy is also a mechanism that is looked at from an environmental perspective. When... Um, Homosexual and heterosexual men and women were asked about their beliefs about relationships and infidelity. The only significant correlation that emerged was between the degree of distress over sexual fidelity and the belief that sexual infidelity implicated likely abandonment. Abandonment for men is huge. All subjects, whether men or women, whether homosexual or heterosexual, in the studies were far more likely to be distressed by an imagined sexual infidelity that if they believe that sexual infidelity portends to the end of a relationship. Furthermore, heterosexual males were far more likely to believe that a sexual infidelity is a likely precursor to abandonment. And abandonment, once again for men, is a core issue from an environmental psychology perspective. It is the biggest fear a man has. Women, both homosexual and heterosexual, were far more likely than heterosexual men to discount a sexual infidelity as non-threatening to a relationship, and homosexual men were even more likely than women to discount a sexual infidelity as non-threatening. So abandoned jealousy is a psychological adaption, an emotional alarm that is designed to go off whenever we detect signs of a partner's potential infidelity and to mobilize us to avoid or minimize our reproductive losses. And, uh, you know, this is a... Uh, a, a uh, evolutionary psychology perspective and since women men and women face different threats to reproductive interests throughout human evolution the sexes have evolved 
distinct jealousy mechanisms, which contain uh, dedicated design features such as uh, uh, specific sex-linked adaptive problems that have reoccurred over thousands of generations of human human evolutionary uh, uh, history. So uh, a woman's sexual infidelity uh, that threatens a man's reproductive interests by undermining his confidence in paternal and putting him in a risk of, of investing his resources in another man's offspring is extremely hard for a man to accept and adapt to. And so uh, this has been a common problem in society, in human life for the last thousand years. And it's a complex issue that comes from an evolutionary uh, perspective when we look at human instincts and what men and women want. Okay, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about how uh, mistreating children is an evolutionary topic and uh, how men and women can't be friends and why men love breasts. Come back. us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at DRGBMFT for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or DRGBMFT.com. Remember, DrGBMFT.com. Life is a journey which never gets easier. As we go through life, we just handle things better as we get to know ourselves. Listen for the Mental Sherpa by Theta Spring. Host Alexandra Janelli believes that each of us are pre-programmed with all the answers and tools we need to move through any situation life throws at us. It's discovering those tools and answers that will set us on the right path to enjoying and navigating life. Listen every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email... It'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. I'm trying to tackle this enormously difficult topic of evolutionary psychology and try to humanize it and make it into something we all understand and just give you a taste of it because there is enormous amount of research out there and great resources beyond me. I'm just trying to tip the iceberg and get your interest in this topic and, I'll, and also 
help you understand how it blends into the world of psychology and it, it can really change dynamically uh, your views on uh, various problems and also various diagnoses. Um, okay, now I want to talk about the mistreatment of stepchildren. You know, children who live with step-parents are at a much greater risk of maltreatment than children who live with both genetic parents. You know, uh, from an evolutionary perspective on human psychology, uh, parental investment by the biological parents is a precious resource, and selection must favor those parental psyches that do not squander it on non-relatives. So, basically, the, the understanding is is that if we are not genetically linked to another person we do not have the mechanisms the 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 sense of love the sense of uh unconditional desire unconditional uh, uh support unconditional love that we give our biological children uh, when we have stepchildren and it's sad because after the 70s after the sexual revolution in the 60s we leaned into the 70s and the divorce rate is through the roof and i i don't know if you know this but right now we're sitting at around 67 percent statistically and uh if you look at law enforcement or a fire it's a it's much uh higher it's much like 84 85%. So, you know, you've got to look at this evolutionary perspective and understand that the motivational mechanisms of parental love may not be there uh, in a step-parent situation and that uh, only for genetic offspring during a critical period of needing of safety, if you introduce a step-parent during, during the first years of life uh, to a child, it is not likely they're going to receive the kind of unconditional love that they would have been programmed to receive from their parents. And also, um, that we have to look at uh, the use of uh, dangerous tactics in conflict with the child when it comes to a step-parent because they don't have that, that uh, predisposition love for the child. That the child is just another person and it's not their choice to be with the child, it's their choice to be with the partner they're with who has the child. So the child is just kind of a comes with them uh, strategy. And so that's very dangerous. There's a lot of abuse that goes on in the world of step-parents. And most of it's uh, verbal. Most of it is... is uh, uh, subtle most of it is is cruel and uh it's it's unbelievable how much goes on out there that people don't report that they sweep under the rug and they don't face it and they don't look at it face to face and these kids suffer through it and so when we live in this very complex society where both parents work and you've got the step parent going on and then you introduce them as the disciplinarian into the family man that that just blows the doors off of people these kids lives they deserve their biological parents. I would hope, and as a marriage family therapist, I hope and pray that people do everything they can to make their marriage work for their children's sake. You know, angry lapses of uh, parental uh, solitude, meaning that they want to keep the peace and, and the kids interrupting their solitude, uh, conf uh, conflictual situations uh, often elicit dangerous tactics. Uh, from substitute parents where they're where very uh, 
very hard-handed and very high-handed and very difficult to to uh, manage. You know, they may take a kid's phone away for for life instead of a parent that loves their kid may say, "Okay, I'm going to take this phone for a week. We're going to talk about this. We're going to work through it." The set parents traditionally are not as patient as the biological parents are. In, in particular, uh, step parenthood is the most common form of. Uh, of, of a greater risk for genetic children. Uh, even more particular, since at least 80% of children living in step families actually live with a stepfather and a, a genetic mother. And so, you know, when you look at a stepfather, the potential of especially the strength of that father is much more overbearing uh, oftentimes than what the female is. But sometimes these days, you know, females are the same way. So, um, and it's not to say that the men are the only abusive because females get, get, can get way out of control as step parents if they're given a disciplinary role by the biological parent. You know, some vam- family violence researchers have pointed out that uh, child welfare professionals sometimes take the presence of a step parent in a household to consideration of deciding whether a bruise or a broken bone uh, was uh, resulted from an accident or abuse. So, you know, step parenting is a high-risk household in, in the mind of a CPS worker, Child Protective Services. Okay, now let's look at why, why men and women can't be just friends. Uh, is this idea of having a pure and platonic relationship between non-related heterosexual men and heterosexual women is a myth. For the most part, it would seem that the answer is, is, is that these guys, no matter what, are going to find a way to be attracted to each other if left to their own devices. And once again, we're, ta- we're not talking about homosexual to heterosexual. We're talking about heterosexual to heterosexual, men to woman. Um, what, what evolutionary psychology is, is saying is that basically uh, there, men... Uh, especially, you know, the heterosexual men have different boundaries with women and uh, that most of the time the heterosexual man will invariably have a sexual desirability reflex upon seeing a female of a reproductive age. And so, you know, an immediate discrimination that a male will make when encountering a female is whether or not he'd like to have sex with her. That's an evaluation the man oftentimes makes when he's developing a relationship with a woman. And so while some women might uh, acknowledge this uh, sexual reflex too, it's likely that they can quickly get past it and focus on the non-sexual aspects of the male with whom they're relating. However, men have a different predisposition they're much, they're, well, the term is hit it and quit it. You know, that, that's what men often work by. And so it's very difficult to work in the psychological world to try to turn that gene off for men and try to get them to understand that, hey, you know, you can't look at females as a sexual object. You've got to learn to look at them, especially if you're married. You've got to start to look at them as a person. And actually, women find that much more attractive in a man when he is able to view her as a person rather than a sexual object. So, so the reasons for this phenomena, this phenomena of men 
creating a sexual situation when they have a platonic relationship with a woman is sexually is uh, is uh, evolutionary from the perspective a predisposition in our genes. So uh, you know. If we look at, on one hand, sperm is uh, physiologically cheap and extremely plentiful and constantly replenished. Therefore, the more often diversely uh, a male spreads his sperm, the more evolutionary successful he'll be. Uh, you know, ova, on the other hand, are very precious, um, me- uh, metabolically expensive, and cannot be replenished. So a woman is born with all eggs and she- she'll never have any more. So what's more, women must assume the physical, emotional, and metabolic demands of pregnancy. Hence, unlike most men who gladly provide their sperm with little thought, evolution has shaped most women to be protective of their eggs and relatively discriminating of their sexual partners. Whereas men, once again, are just trying to procreate as many places as possible to put themselves out there. And these are, once again, genetic and uh, uh, evolutionary uh, perspectives on how the human race operates and how we're built the way we are. You know, women are more able to, to move beyond the immediate sexual attraction inherent in a uh, inner gender relationship so they can more thoroughly determine the overall suitability of a potential man. So guys, guess what that means? Women have shaped mankind by their choices, not by us, but by their choices. We are like machine guns and they are like a, a Colt 45. They pick a very specific target and that is what they're after, whereas men are just spreading the seeds all over the place. So women have dictated the survivability of mankind, whereas men have devised the plentitude of mankind. You know, women are more able uh, to, in general, that... um, they're more apt to, to be reflective sexually, where men are reflexive sexually. So this helps explain why men often mistreat women's friendly signals as invitations for sex and why so many women are shocked when a male friend comes on to them sexually. Increasingly, uh, recent trends of friends with benefits and hooking up seem to acknowledge that sexual gravity exists within heterosexual relationships and this in turn allows many people to be friends without pretending the sexual elephant isn't in the room or to simply have casual sex. So many people find a way to have sex because they're genetically predispositioned and develop the opportunity. So put a man and a woman together, you're in big trouble. Now why do men love breasts? Well, guess what? Uh, um, these big bulbous bags of fat drooping from women's chests, uh, scientists have never satisfactorily explained men's curious breast fixation, but neurologically, neurologists have, have come up with some explanations, and I think it's, it's pretty neat. You know, uh, when a woman's nipples are stimulated during breastfeeding, the oxytocin, otherwise known as the love drug, floods her brain, causing... uh, focus her attention and affection on her baby. But research over the past two years has shown that in humans, this circuitry isn't reserved exclusively by infants. 
Recent studies have found that nipple stimulation enhances sexual arousal to the great majority of women and that it activates the same brain areas as vaginal and clitoral stimulation. So when a sex partner touches, massages a woman's breasts and nipples, this triggers the release of oxytocin in the woman's brain, just like what happens when a baby nurses. But in this context, the oxytocin focuses the woman's attention on her sexual partner, strengthening her desire to bond with this person. In other words, men can make themselves more desirable by stimulating a woman's breast during foreplay and sex. And evolution has, in a sense, made men want to do this. So that, that is what the theory of evolution is basically saying. And it's all saying, also saying attraction to breasts is a, a brain organization effect that occurs in straight males when they go through puberty. Evolution has selected for the brain organization in men that makes them attracted to breasts in sexual context because the outcome is that it activates the female bonding circuit, making women feel more bonded with him. And it's a behavior that makes males ha- uh, that uh, have evolved in order to stimulate uh, females' breasts. So they know that that's the light switch for sexuality with a woman. Now, look at homosexuality in evolution. Uh, you know, from an evolutionary perspective, we tend to think of sexual behavior as a means to an end for reproduction. However, it is also used in many species, including non-human primates, to help form and maintain social bonds. So we can all see this in romantic couples who bonded by engaging in sexual behavior, and even when reproduction is not possible. So, uh, basically what they're saying is homosexuality was a form of bonding. And that uh, basically men who completed, uh, men who go for it and go for a uh, kissing another person or having oral sex, females who have oral sex or arousal is basically a social, uh, making social safety and making social bonds with each other. And that this has gone on for thousands of years in the human race and in other primates to keep them together and to make them feel close and make them feel safe. All right. Well, that is our show from an evolutionary psychology perspective. I hope I've given you some information. I know I've stumbled through it. I knew this was going to be a challenge. Our next show is going to be an interesting one. It's one I've been wanting to do for a long time. It's on sports psychology, and it's also about uh, raising kids in the world of sports, and it's also about these Nazi sports parents that are idiots when they're watching kids play, their children play games. And uh, I just want to thank everybody for listening. So next week, that's where we're going to cover that sports psychology. We're going to learn how athletes think. We're also going to learn how to raise our children within sports and what the purpose is and how not to be Nazi parents. So thanks, everybody, for listening. I'd love to hear from you and get your feedback. DRGBMFT at SBCGlobal.net or Twitter at DRGBMFT. Remember, in the last 60 years, we've gone from Eisenhower to Donald Trump, from JFK to Hillary Clinton. By 2028, what will we vote for, Beavis and Butthead? Okay. In the next step of evolution, there will be lifeguards to monitor the gene pool. Thanks, everybody. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. We'll be right back. 